Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing what makes a good analogy. Chris, start us off on this. What, 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 what led us to this subject? Uh, well, there was a, a, a recent sort of um, article which uh, was looking at the British politician Michael Gove, mm. um, who is a, a Brexiteer but has remained within the cabinet. Um, he he hasn't left Theresa May's government in protest over her um, negotiating stance, uh, and it compared him to um, Tyrion Lannister, uh, and I felt this was a particularly poor analogy because just refresh my memory which one's Tyrion Lannister uh so Tyrion is the uh son uh the um the dwarf character played by Peter Dinkler I think is Dinklage uh, Dinklage Dinklage is the uh, actor's name uh and he's the one who um is now siding with uh Khaleesi has has changed sides abandoned his family and uh probably arguably been the most successful Lannister um and has you know negotiated this this complex political environment well uh whereas to my mind uh michael gove hasn't done so you know he 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 was involved in that completely botched attempt to become prime minister uh when he stabbed Boris Johnson in the back, and then Theresa May sort of emerged from yeah. the from the melee. Um, and uh, also, he's kind of um, he's abandoned his his political base. Uh, I mean, maybe that's where the comparison works, but in lots of places, it it falls down as a general analogy. Yeah. And also, and I don't say this lightly. I mean, uh, Tyrion Lannister is actually very likable, um, and Correct. Michael Gove is famous for not being at all. Likeable. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think the so I I I I love uh, Tyrion. He's, he's one of the best characters on the show, and uh, it, you know it seems to me that his success is more about um, his in, use of his intellect to anticipate consequences of of his actions and his adaptability. So his ability to be very robust when things go wrong, mm. and a lot of the other characters, you know, fail because they don't do that because they stay with their fixed ideas about what they want to achieve. Um, yeah, and very that... very much not like Michael Gove, really. Who's an uh, ideologue? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so who, but no, but, but was... I wouldn't have described. Certain one thing you wouldn't say that Tyrion is a schemer as such. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't uh, deceive people uh, very much. If anything, he tries to persuade people through um, laying facts out. You know, he's not he's not a deceiver. Yeah, uh, I mean, having said all that, I actually have to say I'm, I think I'm the only man in Britain who quite likes Michael Gove. I think he's uh, he's very bright. I used to like him on I've the heard Moral Maze. He's a maze. very good minister. I've heard yeah, he's he's very... I liked him on the Moral Maze. I think most, but he's a, he's become a popular. I can see why he'd make a good hate figure. What would be a well? Let's assume for a moment that it's a bad. I, I know we're going to spread broaden this out. <laughs> yeah. What would be a better analogy for Michael Gove? So, so either within Game of Thrones or without. Yeah. Well, I I think I think Littlefinger is probably a better a better analogy yeah. for him because he's he's very self serving. He doesn't. Uh, you know he's abandoned sides at quite quite regularly a he's a bit creepy and um hopefully ultimately he'll, <laughs> he'll have his throat cut yeah yeah i um, i think and i i yeah the the thing about uh, littlefinger is he 
thinks he's a great schemer, but he's actually an inept schemer because everyone can see through him. Everyone knows he's a schemer. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't work. I, I, I thought also Grimmer Wormtongue might be a good, uh, might be a good. Which game. one's that? He's he's uh, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he he's the one who um, who basically takes over uh, uh, King Thid, and he whispers in his ear, and, and he's possessed. Yeah, he's, he's uh, a, yes, 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 yes. He's sort of he's Saruman's agent. Yeah, within, you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it, well, I mean, it's a bit like they say with um, you know in politics, particularly in the Conservative Party, is the schemers don't um, make it as prime minister. No. Um, so uh, going back to Michael Portillo. And it's like you were saying with uh, with Littlefinger, it's just so transparent yeah. that they're scheming. So going back to Michael Portillo, um, Boris Johnson, arguably with Michael Gove, um, these people just don't sort of make it to the no, top. No, I think that's right. And, I, and I, so yes, anyway, but we don't really want to talk about Michael Gove and Go- Go- Game of Thrones. Well, we probably do, yeah. but we're not going to. So, so yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's go back to the original question. And then what does what makes it, we've said that's a bad analogy. What makes a good analogy then? Or how can analogies be useful? Well, what first of all, what is an analogy? There we go. Let's right. start with that. So, um, and I, it is actually it's something very fundamental to the way we think. I think if we can if we can sort of um, abstract what the process of analogizing is, um, probably best to start with sort of the formal field of data analysis. So, you know, in machine learning and so on, you you start with structured data, and uh, structured data. Oh, it's always or, data with you, isn't it? Go on, keep going information date you call it what you want but the point is that you what you have is a set of fields so you have data points and what data points are is a kind of conjunction of values to different fields wait hold on so you're let's He's just let's, made an analogy about, about data <laughs> we got we got name fraser yeah right age 52 or whatever what? uh you know weight um 17 stone you know uh you a set of data that is conjoined together now, what that means is that when you are, when when we look at um uh, at you as a data point, we can look at other people who are the same weight and the same age and perhaps have the same name, and the ability to say right, we've got a group of people who all have the same age here, and we can try and find relationships between that characteristic and other characteristics, um, is what all data analysis is. That is what data analysis is, is finding relationships between, um, you know, sort of dissimilar data points that nevertheless have similar um, have similar characteristics. That's what analogies are. It's the ability to say, OK, we've got these two systems or events or, you know, people or anything uh, which share some sufficient number of features. And often that enables you to say, well, if they share those features, right, there's a certain probability that they'll share other features. And that's really fundamental to the way we reason is is to be able to diagnose a totally new situation as being basically similar to some other situation because it shares features with that situation. And that enables you to form beliefs about it. You can say, oh, OK, well, I mean, if he's a if he's, um, you know, a, a man, um, then, he, you know, we can we can say that he's probably going to be uh you know a bit taller than if he's if he was a woman um even though we don't know anything about you because we're able to analogize from you to the set of all other men right and, yeah, and humans mean, are particularly good at analogies you know and it's it, and it works well for our our sort of um evolutionary setting because you know we don't have whereas lots of machine learning approaches might involve the investigation of enormous data sets for people we've only 
we have a small amount of personal experience and from that we need to form you know uh, um, uh, accurate b- beliefs about the world yeah. and so this process of you know analogous thinking uh, is a good way of doing that of saying yes I saw a thing a bit like that once I think this thing might be a bit like that in these yeah, in these yeah, particular yeah, yeah. regards so I mean I've... for an analogy to work yeah. right so a successful analogy relies on three things. First of all, that your assignment of the features is correct, so that you are a man. We haven't got that wrong. Rather than, you know, you assume the data's right. That comes first. Second, you assume that your inference process works. Um, so that you, uh, you know, that, that I'm, I'm, uh, I've correctly discerned that there is a relationship between, you know, one variable and another. And I'm drawing the right inferences from it. And then finally, uh, that this relationship is persistent in the right way. So, uh, you know, that this relationship between gender and height is going to be true, let's say, in this new area that I've looked at or now. Like it might be that that relationship just yesterday broke down. And and my and so we make these those those three things are, you know, that are necessary for the success of an analogy. And indeed, for the so for the success of human thought, because all thought is essentially an analogy. So what, and I think so, it's probably worth saying that the only reason we have evolved to think analogously is because, by and large, the world we live in is stable. So you know, it, it does things don't change. Tigers don't suddenly switch to being, um, you know, to being uh, nice and cuddly and friendly one day to the next. You know, uh, rain clouds don't don't suddenly produce heat instead of rain, right? So the the fact that the world is more or less stable is is why we've evolved to think like this. Well, I mean, you can't evolve to think if you don't have a stable world to to reason about. So yeah, and um, also that there we're, we are. We're an animal that sort of has this quest and desire for understanding knowledge and for understanding stuff that we don't yet understand. Yeah, I know. But what so, I'm saying is that we wouldn't be able to do that, right? You you couldn't have. Um, yeah, you couldn't stable. have machine learning at all. You can have any learning, machine or human or anything else, if they weren't shared features across data points. So if every data point was totally unique. Do you remember we did that um, that uh, podcast about Funes the Memorius, the the uh, um, Borges story, yeah, 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 where yeah. Uh, where you know this every single experience to him was a completely unique conjunction of things, and um, Borges said, you know, that means he's really unable to form abstract thoughts. So 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 the, so I think the the the, the potential problem with this analogous thinking uh is you know the the false analogies that um uh john stuart mill referred to um where you know as nick was saying you know we break those three criteria so the example he gave was of um you know uh knowing that somebody's sibling is lazy and assuming that they're they're lazy uh which you know probably doesn't work as a, as an analogy or um you know i think about with with um hoverflies being black and yellow they have obviously evolved to um to exploit false an, uh, an analogy you know that a black and yellowness is somehow associated with uh having a having a sting of some some description um and we because we we love anal- analogies because we uh, you know that is that is the strength of our our form of uh, uh, uh sort of reasoning um we are also susceptible to being exploited by the use of false false analogy yeah, I mean, I think what we're saying is deception is possible. It's possible to be wrong, but you can be wrong in the right way. I mean, uh, you know, it might be the case that, well, if you know that someone's sibling is lazy, they have a higher probability of being lazy. 
So it's it might be right to say, well, you know, 10% of people are lazy, but there's a genetic component. And we've discerned that through analysis of siblings. And we found that, you know, um, actually, if one sibling's lazy, the other one might be 50% probable that they're mm. lazy. That's completely OK, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You you um, the, the problem is that often, you know, we're not very good at reasoning like that. We haven't needed to evolve you know quite those sort of fine distinctions and in everyday life it's very tempting and easy to just seize on two or three features that are shared and assume that they're all shared and that's where it really that's where it really seems to go wrong incidentally as yeah. as uh, going back to this example of siblings and also the hoverfly i've just as the hoverfly benefits from a false analogy so have i in that oh, case yeah. because i'm a young younger of two siblings and when i was at school all my teachers assumed that i was going to be really nice and hard working and a good <laughs> solid chap because that's exactly what my older brother's like turns out yeah. you know, that's not the case but i benefited <laughs> from that um okay well look i mean where, where do we go from here i mean one thing one sort of I remember at university, one thing we talked about a lot is is certainly when talking about God, for example, that it ten, ten, we, we have to talk about, um, if we're trying to understand God, it, we have to talk in analogies. Because if you try and explain what God is, you, you, can't, it's, you kind of have to explain him in other ways. So oh, it's like a river or it's like, a, it's like an ice that melts. or it's, yeah. um, and, and actually, so what happens, in, in, so in my opinion, is you end up believing, you're able to construct an abstract uh, but in my opinion, it's false, you know, so... Yeah, which you, the parables and, you know, all of those those biblical stories yeah. that are about, you know, a, a, a returning son or a lost sheep or whatever it yeah. might be. And so um, you can end up in a false belief in something small like a hoverfly might hurt me or, or in, in something <laughs> maybe huge that, that, that changes history and that there's this God that punishes us, and et cetera, But, but et also that can work well, you know, um, you know, analogies are very important for, for children's learning well for all of our learning right you know when we're trying to understand a, a concept an abstract concept so um there's been research into the extent to which analogies support learning so when you're trying to understand what a mitochondria does if you're told it's the um it's the energy supply of the cell you then start that helps you 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 import knowledge from another area it's like it's like an inject of of knowledge ah yes okay i understand it's it's a bit like a battery say for example uh or um uh, you, you know um there are kind of other examples like um, uh, electricity flows like water. And so when you're trying to understand these concepts, which are really quite difficult, that analogy can make them concrete. So in the same way as you can, you can maybe um, exploit that to get across an idea of this abstract being that creates the universe, and falsely or otherwise, you can also help people learn about things that science have proven uh you know um and so so it, it, it's got like like any you know um feature of reasoning it's got pros and cons and it can be it can be uh exploited sure um okay um, yeah, i mean where, you where know, we go? We've got about math- five minutes or so to go where do we go well, the this? use of the use of uh analogies is well documented in the discovery of new sort of mathematical concepts certainly the way that um you know i mean so you know you take you find that one problem which is quite difficult to think about actually maps onto a to another problem that is easy to think about i think the best example i could think of was uh cartesian geometry where you know geometry had always been treated as different from algebra a totally different thing um you know and descartes kind of said well why don't we why don't we describe these lines and circles 
using algebraic formulae. And then suddenly, you know, a whole new set of techniques that we developed in algebra could now be applied to geometry and, and geometry sort of brought into just an, a form of algebra. That, that's, that's brilliant. And it's something very satisfying um, when we discover a similarity between something complex we don't understand that well and some other thing we do understand. Um, it's, 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 uh, and, and so that the history of, you know, certainly of maths, because it, you, you know, with maths generally, something either is absolutely 100% analogous or it's not at all. Um, it is full of those kinds of very satisfying fits between, you know, existing problems and new problems. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, this is being sort of recognized. I mean, we talked about machine learning. There's a there's an approach called um, uh, structured uh, mapping engine, uh, which was developed by um, a U.S. Uh, academic called um, Professor Ken Forbus, uh, who I instantly trusted because the picture of him showed him as a man with a white beard and glasses. And I made the analogy that that's what that that's what a scientist should should mm -hmm. do. But this effectively um, works by um, rather than combing lots and lots of data uh, for um, for patterns, simply importing patterns from other learned learned areas. So it's being it's being recognized in uh, in technology. Um, I think for for me as as you know as we're using analogy to make decisions the the first thing we we have to do is recognize we are making an analogy because that's the, I think that's where the problems some of the problems come from where where we're not being explicit about the fact that we're we're making an analogy so we're importing lots of assumptions about something without actually combing through those assumptions and 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 looking at them and you know politicians can be very adept at this right so you know there's we're all familiar from english literature with the use of analogy you know of, of simile and metaphor and we see those coming you know it, their skin was like a you know a, a, a lily or whatever it might be but where it's much more subtle is where use of language uh imports analogy so when you get people talking about uh swarms of people or you know a plague of migrants coming mm. to the border or whatever it might be and you you get you subtly start instilling in people's minds a, a, an analogy to something else by by use of language and that's where we that's where i think this being explicit about the fact that analogy is going on is helpful to the analytical process yeah well, i'm just bringing the good judgment project for a minute here uh you know one of the one of the key findings there was that thinking in terms of sort of um you know fitting stories and fitting examples to some problem you're thinking about is uh is generally um not helpful in terms of forming accurate beliefs so if you just so in other words if you try and say okay well this this situation you know that um Saddam Hussein is a bit like Hitler. Uh, so, you know, we'll just import the story of World War Two mm. onto invading Iraq. And hey, presto, uh, you know, we just have to do the same thing and it'll be great. Um, and and, uh, and I you, you and whereas it's it's, you know, a more structured process where you say, OK, I mean, it's all an analogies all the way down. But you 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 look at what aspects are similar. You try and identify sort of measurable features of something 
to say, okay, well, this we're, we're thinking about whether or not this election is going to be fair. Well, you know, it's an election, so but it's in this particular region, uh, you know, but it's different in other ways uh, to that region because this country is less corrupt. And just, you know, trying to, trying to sort of find features that are similar and features that are dissimilar uh, instead of finding a, an off-the-shelf story that you could just plonk into a particular situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see. I think you can see a lot of political debates as really being essentially fighting over which analogy is is most appropriate, which is not a good way of doing it, but it's how it actually works. So, um, I mean, I was looking up examples of bad political analogies. Um, there, there's 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 plenty, but um, a lot of uh, one example people talk about is a lot of um, libertarians and. Um, people conservatives in the u.s sort of small government conservatives uh liken um taxation to slavery and really? well it's a good i, I mean i you know it's got it's not it's not bonkers because essentially you have you are forced to give some of your labor to the government to okay. someone else right yep. so so it's not bonkers but the problem is obviously because of our tendency to import too much of analogy uh we therefore inclined to say oh well therefore we should treat taxation as exactly in exactly the same way that we treated slavery and stamp it out you know um, and those same people are presumably the people who who 200 years previously had been fighting well to, to for maintain, slavery yeah, yeah. Slavery, yeah, exactly. yeah so i mean uh you know and, and so the question is well what's a you know is there an is it is actually is taxation a bit more like you know splitting a bill uh, in a restaurant, what's it more like? You know, the, in, and and so uh, depending on which analogy we decide collectively to go for, uh, you know, the the recommendation will be very different. Of course, you know, I mean, I would always argue, well, just stop doing that and just say, look, this is, these are the facts about what taxation is, and these are the consequences of doing things, you know, differently. Um, so yeah, I mean, as Chris was saying, basically, I think what we're saying is, look, don't just don't just use analogies. Be aware of how they work and and what you're legitimately able to do with them and what their limitations are. Okay, uh, let's wrap up. Um, so let's just return it to the beginning, and we were talking about analogies, and we were talking about um, that we think uh, that Tyrion Lannister is not a good analogy for Michael Gove. Let's look at ourselves. No, I know uh, what's going to happen. We're all going to say we're Tyrion Lannister. That's that's about everyone wants to be Tyrion Lannister because he's clearly the coolest character in the entire show. Well, look, let's start off by being really unfair. I'm, by no, the way, no, no. I'm Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> let's start off by being really unfair. Uh, which character would our friend Peter Goghill be? Which which one do we think he is? Ah, oh. you know, I feel like there's an answer, and I just need to work it out. I need yeah, to yeah. Let's have a think about my... that. Um, I mean, he's a little bit like. I mean, he's he's nowhere near as wet as, but he's um, uh, uh, in some respects like uh, Sam, the the guy who goes to study Sam as the, the Meister. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- um, I don't. But, I was going to say he's got to be a maester of some kind. Yeah, so because he's very s- into you know technology and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I I'm veering towards a maester, but I, I don't think he's quite. He's, he's not, not a soppy and he's no, not he's not. He's not. See, I tell yeah. you who I think he's like. Um, who's the female knight? What's her name? Oh, um, oh, yeah, uh, 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 Brie, Brie of Tar. Brienne yeah. of Tar. See, I think Brienne he's a lot like her because yeah. he's she's solid, she's stalwart, she's fundamentally good. Um, you know, when Peter's listening to this, I'm really bigging him no, up. No, he's not. He's, he's definitely more. He's more pragmatic than Brienne yeah. of Tarth. She's she's very fixated on her mission. Okay. Um, and uh, I think I don't think Peter would like to see himself. As, as, Who as do you that, think Peter would like to see himself as? I, I suspect he'd go down the Maester route. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like someone like maybe maybe he one day he wants to be like Maester Lewin, who I think is the one in um, 
I might have got my maesters mixed up, but I think he's the one who is at uh, Castle, Castle Black. Black and is you know a real sort of you know he's blind really good but he's but but he's you know he's 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 sort of really really hot that's jim broadbent doing stuff no no i know he's the one in uh yeah yeah anyway okay so that's peter um yeah not allowed to choose yourself so okay let's talk about chris what do we think chris would who chris would be um i think there's an element of the cersei about chris Cersei Lannister. Really? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a sort of. Uh, I think he can be. He can be very ruthless. Um, you definitely don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so so yeah, he will always. He, he knows what the thing to do is that will be successful, and he's got no qualms about doing that. Okay. Why? What's your What's your feeling? Yeah, um, I think that's not a bad one. Um, I mean, one thing I often think about Chris, he's not the most uh, emotionally demonstrative of people. Um, and so I'm trying to think who that is, because they actually, they tend can, to be quite Can big. I interject at this Yeah, go stage? on then. Because I've always, I've always associated massively with Stannis Baratheon. Okay, there right. we go, oh, that yeah, fits. Actually, right. And there was this, there was this I, point, I there was this point where he's in Castle Black at some point, and somebody says, uh, you know, something, something less than, and... And and I said fewer. I said and split second later he corrects their grammar and says fewer. And at that point I was his man right up until the point at which he he, he uh, immolates his, his own yeah. uh, his own daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because um, I, I do. I think, but I think actually that that that's also uh, that works well. And I think, uh, but I don't. I feel like Chris would have succeeded where Stannis failed. I think Chris would have would have bided his time a bit longer would have would have waited till till the riper moment to strike mm. and would have mm. and would have won yeah um, okay yeah i think we're getting somewhere with this uh so what about nick what do you reckon chris uh i think probably uh khaleesi um from from the perspective of he's he's quite he's quite paternalistic yeah uh, he um, he's prepared she's to make. She's very maternalistic, but anyway. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, okay. So, but quite um, quite prepared to uh, make assumptions on behalf of the people she's she's ruling. Uh, okay. Um, and also she is um, uh, she's able to to she's always at the the center of a set of complex decisions where there's no right answer. Yeah. But she's good at making the least least wrong answer. She has a ruthless streak, yeah. but also prepared to be benevolent and understands the requirement to for social interaction and res- respecting people's views, even when yeah. Yeah. when they totally disagree. And probably the clincher. Let's not forget, likes a, a good rogering from a big hairy barbarian. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to go along with that one. Uh, I, I initially I was disappointed not to get Tyrion, but I'm happy. I'm actually happy with Daenerys Targaryen. I okay, think. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's a great character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what about so, me? I was gonna say, so, I feel like you're one of those wildlings, one of those hairy wildlings, <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, refusing to live by by civilized rules, uh, you know, and uh, doing things your own way. <clears throat> I'm going to go for uh, the Red Viper, um, Who's that? Prince Prince Oberon. He gets uh, his head squished by the who mountain. gets his head squished by the mountain, but who <gasps> uh, who's okay. very yeah, yeah. artistic and flamboyant. Uh, you know, um, uh, does does things through um, uh, through artistry rather than uh, um, 
you know, through a He's mechanistic got, approach. Yeah, it lives life with, with, with a bit of flair. That's right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like I like I like Oberon. I like that sort of uh, analogy. Yeah, I would say for myself. Um... And also, I think you are the kind of person who, having sort of bested somebody, would be standing over them. Going, kind ah, of, got kind you. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only to have your head crushed yeah. like a melon. I think I I I do like the Oberon thing. I I would accept that. The, the other one I like is, and again, I know I never remember any of these characters' names, but is the sidekick to Tyrion and then later to the northern soldier bloke. Robson, Robson. Oh, exactly. Bronn, Bronn of the Blackwater. Yeah. I love that yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. That would mean always got, always got a sort of a little wisecrack going. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, can shimmy his way through life. Yeah, no, I, but I see you more of a, I, th- I don't see you as, as a, um, enough of a follower, really, to do that yeah. properly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for better or worse, uh, Prince Oberon it is. Um, that, well, that was good. I was expecting it to be boring. I was expecting us to sort of fixate on some, but we picked on some good characters there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, very good. Um, all right, um, we, we shall wrap up there. I, I very much enjoyed that. So, um, so we'll wrap up there. I'm Fraser McGrew. Um, you've been here with Nick here and Chris Ragavalov Insights, listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.